Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 253. We're recording on Thursday, March 22nd, 2018. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from bookriot.com. Whoops. Hello. (laughs) Hello. Well, we're just off to a great start already. I jumped all over that. I was so excited (laughs) to be back. So yeah, Jeff is out this week. I think we're taking turns uh, being made sick by let's just call it all of the bad stuff in the air. Um, It's, It's the fake news spring. I blame the fake news spring. Oh, snowstorms that we had. Mm -hmm. Like, we had we have daffodils up, all of our daffodils, and they all got killed in snow yesterday. Oh, that's a sad story. It is a sad story. But I'm I'm happy that you're here with me. Although at this point, you're like gunning to win some sort of book riot merit badge <laughs> for podcasting. <laughs> I really do want a badge. <laughs> I was telling Rebecca before we hit record that I've at the end of tom- we're recording this on a Thursday and at the end of tomorrow Friday after we record the next SFF yeah episode I will have recorded seven podcasts or podcast segments in 14 days yeah that is it's a lot that is some kind of record I like I'm gonna make myself a merit badge <laughs> order myself a tiny trophy or there something. you go you could get a new plant <gasps> I could get a new plant you are so right that's what's gonna happen <laughs> this is how we do it here and you were such a gracious pinch hitter. I literally asked Jen like two hours ago, can you do this thing with me today while Jeff is sick and we have to make words? Um, so who knows what we're going to do here who for the knows? next little bit, but thank you for being here with me. You are so welcome. And I'm pleased on behalf of the Academy to award you the <laughs> golden microphone. Yes. I would like to thank everybody who helped make this possible, including my cats. Um, Okay. (laughs) Should I do, should I tell everybody about our first sponsor? Yeah, let's get into it. Let's do some business here. Okay. Well, our first sponsor is Force of Nature by Jane Harper, uh, sponsored by Flatiron Books. When five colleagues are forced to go on a corporate retreat in the wilderness, they reluctantly pick up their backpacks and start walking down the muddy path. But one of the women doesn't come out of the woods. Uh, Jane Harper's debut, The Dry, made a huge splash last year in Book Riot, among many other places. People still have not stopped talking about it uh, in, in my Book Riot circles, at the very least. And it landed on a lot of... Of best of lists including NPR, Amazon, and it was a New York Times editor's choice. And this is the sequel. So Force of Nature brings back Detective Aaron Falk to investigate the case of five women forced on a corporate retreat in the wilderness. Side note, I feel like corporate <laughs> retreats should not take place in the woods. Like, I just feel like you're asking for trouble. <laughs> if your company is like, we're going to go do team building 
in the middle of nowhere. Right. Be like, <laughs> I am going to be sick that week. Like, come down with the flu because you might Nothing not good back. is going to happen. Nothing good is going to happen. As, as in this case, only four of the women returned and he each comes back with a different story. So the de- detective has to uncover the secrets and betrayals. Um, so if you are a fan of Tana French in particular, or if you love the newest cutting edgest mysteries, uh, you are going to want to pick it up. That's Force of Nature by Jane Harper. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. Now I'm just thinking about a corporate retreat in the forest. I just, I mean, listen, I feel like there are good cases to be made for some kinds of corporate like team building, but mm-hmm. I don't feel like the woods or like backpacking should ever be part of them because somebody's right. going to break an ankle or, or somebody like, could get murdered. Like, like it's a ropes very, course, a trust yeah. fall. Like, could we just answer icebreaker questions for a while? That right. Like fun. fight about pizza. I just feel like there are better ways to build fight teams. About pizza. <laughs> You know, like the right toppings for pizza. It's always a big deal when you get a lot of people together. That's true. People do have strong feelings about it. I mean, just look at the pineapple wars in Book Ride Insiders. (laughs) They they continue to this day. Uh, Yes, the pineapple (laughs) wars of 2018. I remember them well. (laughs) You know, speaking of things we're going to remember. Oh, boy. uh, I know. Here we go. So for the approximately 900th week in a row, we have Sherman Alexi news. Uh, this is the, I think the biggest swing I've seen so far. Um, the American Indian literature association is rescinding Alexi's 2008 YA book of the year award in order to quote, send an unequivocal message that Alexi's actions are unacceptable. Uh, this is the first that I've heard of a, like 10 years retroactive rescinding of an award. Uh, he declined the Carnegie Medal that he was awarded a week or so ago. Um, but this is an organization, I think, functionally erasing legacy, um, which is a really interesting and powerful statement. They go on in the um, in the full statement to say um, that as librarians, they have a significant influence on books that schools and libraries select. The AILA Youth Literature Awards were established to honor Native authors and illustrators, and the books we select represent the very best for kids in our communities. We believe that writers are members of our communities who we can look to as role models for our youth. We cannot, therefore, recommend Mr. Alexi's books, and we have decided to rescind our 2008 award. In rescinding this award, we hope to send an unequivocal message that Alexi's actions are unacceptable. Um, so not just a forward-looking change, but a real, if you go back through the records of um, the writers that have won this very important award in uh, for Native American writers, you won't see Sherman Alexi anymore. That is a big, that is a big step. It is. I, do, what do you do? You have any sense or get? I guess we're just guessing at this point. Yeah. But do you have any guesses about um, if we might see more of this? Like, it's an interesting question. There was some chatter about this um, also in the insiders forum, and somebody mentioned that the only other rescinding they could think of was that ASU rescinded the Cronkite Award from Charlie Rose, which is I don't oh. know that that's quite the same thing, um, but it is another example. And somebody brought up, you know, like sports, you know, people having medals revoked, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing. Again, not quite the same. I do wonder because you know. I almost expected the Carnegie Medal, something to happen with that on the organization side. But he, mm. he, you know, didn't accept it, which was the right move, I think. Um, yes. For a lot of reasons. But, yeah, I, 
I don't even know what to think. I don't know how to feel about this because I think it makes perfect sense for them to do. Like, it makes perfect sense for them to decide that, you know, they say they, somebody shared the email that was sent to the membership of the AILA with Mm -hmm. SLJ. And it mentions in there, um, the books we select represent the very best for our kids in our communities. We believe that the writers are members of our communities who we can look to as role models for our youth. So they're specifically saying like this reward, this award is not just about the book. This is about having role models for our community, in which case, you know, this is this makes perfect sense um, internally for them, and I also appreciated that in that email they or letter they took a they took a moment to support Native women's voices. Mm-hmm. Um, they they mentioned an anthology, and I I thought that was great. Um, but yeah, I I I just. I I read a thing now I'm going to have to try to find the link for everybody about erasure and and why maybe that's not always the best solution like rescinding the award sure but like literally erasing the fact that it got awarded to him makes me a little nervous because you know like maybe we want to remember that like maybe this is a cautionary tale that's worth remembering but again like it's such a specific instance yeah it's I think the sports analogy is not a perfect one but it's an interesting one and maybe the best fitting one that we have um for like Lance Armstrong you know had awards medals revoked from him after doping stuff was found out or like baseball players They'll put an asterisk next to a win if it's discovered that there was some sort of cheating that was happening that contributed to that. But I I think that it's a really interesting question, and it's one that we've gone back and forth on on the Book Riot editorial side, too, is if you leave the record of the thing and there's an asterisk next to it, then you can explain, here is why we're not honoring this thing anymore, because this person did this thing. Right. Um, and... If you completely erase as um, I think Debbie Reese was who's um, is a Native American writer and Mm -hmm. she runs I can never remember what the full name of her website is, Um, but it's a like huge and long running website that covers um, Native American issues in literature and books that address Native issues and like fiction and nonfiction and all sorts of things. It's the the American Indian and American Indians and children's literature site. Yes. Thank you, Jen. Um, that she mentioned she was removing all mentions of him and his work from the, like from the years and years of coverage of the site, which is absolutely a decision that she can make. Um, but like when and how you do those and what it tells people or doesn't tell them about how to make decisions about him. Like if, if Alexi just gets wiped from all the books forever, um, then there is nowhere for anybody to find mention of him and then to buy his books and recommend them in their classrooms and stuff like that is one way towards that future of, not bringing this person's work into classrooms and libraries and the general reading public, but opening a broad discussion about why he's not there is another part of it. And I guess I'm in a place of, of and instead of or. Same. I was just going to say, I think like, I think it's contextual, you know, Mm -hmm. I think it makes like, again, in this case, it makes perfect sense to me, not that they need my permission, obviously, but it makes sense to me that you would choose to just take it out because the, the AILA has a very specific mission and, and -hmm. this doesn't serve that mission. And so, you know, they're going to remove it like that. That is a decision that makes perfect sense. And, and Debbie Reese, the same, like she's got a very, she's trying to support 
Native voices, and and if this is not how she wants to do it, then that makes perfect sense too. Um, yeah, and I think platforms mm -hmm. for native voices and access to you know the full like publishing experience for Native American writers is so limited. Like mm -hmm. Alexi is one of the few big names that you know sort of passionate readers recognize as being a Native American writer. Um, there just are not many who have gained access to have their stories told but for for a million reasons that we've talked about a million times mm -hmm, on this mm -hmm. on this podcast yeah. um that you know we're gonna take we have the AILA, aila has this award that they can give and saying we want to spend this space honoring people who meet our mission and who uphold our values i think makes perfect sense mm -hmm. i wonder if we'll see it in any other places like alexi has is not um a stranger to having won awards nope. and so i wonder if we'll see revocations of other awards for him. Um, he's by far, the, this is the biggest Me Too story that we've seen in publishing, but um, we could easily, I think, hit a day where we have a National Book Award, a past National Book Award winner, a past Pulitzer winner, or someone who's been, who, who has allegations against them. And what do those organizations do or not do about it will be interesting. Yeah. My money is on not much, to be yeah, perfectly honest. Mine too. Um, which I don't know this, you know, that's neither here nor there, but <laughs> yeah. And if you're Sherman Alexi here, like Jeff and I were talking last week about agreeing also that he made the right decision in, um, not denying man my words are broken today but yeah. in, um, in not taking the Carnegie medal but I wonder if he's having a moment of like should I send back all of these things um what do you how do you even try to make amends there's there like, when you can't right um, <laughs> so that's what's happening with Sherman Alexi mm -hmm. um, more news in I guess in the world of post me too or me too uh, actions that are being taken i don't know um the paris review who let go lauren stein after allegations against him the paris review is looking for uh, a new editor uh, and there was a piece like i'm kind of confused about how the whole thing shook out but there was a piece in vulture this week that like Vulture is basically looking at trying to guess who the Paris Review is going to bring in as the replacement for Lauren Stein. Um, and they've identified eight candidates, all of whom are women, and um, that they have a source, a member on the review staff who has basically said, like, we have this feeling, there was no doubt a feeling that to do otherwise than hire a woman would be a middle finger to feminism. So it's it's interesting to see this. I think there, like, there should be a woman editor at the Paris Review, and I've said on the show that, like, I think it would be great just desserts if, like, this is a good step towards reparations for women. If um, every man who loses a job because of these bad behaviors is replaced by a woman, um, but it was it, like this coverage was weird. We were talking about it offline about like what does this mean? <laughs> yeah, I well, it's and it's a funny piece because it seems like it was not something that the review is particularly trying to advertise. Um, yeah, the, the language is cagey. The language implies that Vulture is doing some like is getting off the record sources and, you know, people who are commenting anonymously and here's what we think they are doing. Um, so I don't, I don't, how do I want to say this? I, I think it's interesting. A, this is kind of, you know, behind the scenes on the part of the review. 
mm-hmm. think some of the the details of this that the vulture has reported on is interesting. Like apparently there was um, a string of emails nominating uh, one of the potential people um, like right after Stein was accused and or resigned. Um, and, and there's questions about like the timing of that and the implications of that. And I don't know, it all, it's all very, it's all very like, industry drama like it's insider baseball drama it's the most insider baseball drama of ever really it's Um, true it's just so it because it's there's basically we don't know anything like they're trying to find a new editor and it's probably going to be a woman is the short version is the tldr three thousand words of we don't know anything exactly it's a really long piece you know as internet pieces go about Maybe there's going to be a new woman editor of the Paris Review. (laughs) (laughs) Which I guess, if it tells us anything, tells us like how infrequently publishing changes and how slow it is to change. That like just the notion that a thing might happen at the Paris Review. Right. And uh, yeah. And I get that it's a big deal. You know, the thing that Vulture did do a good job of is is articulating why it's a big deal that Stein is gone aside from mm-hmm. the fact that he had to resign under allegations. Um, and, and, and if you care about the Paris review, that's interesting. Um, if you don't like basically the takeaway is they're looking for a female editor, which is probably a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that concludes that story. <laughs> I don't know. I have I have kind of less patience for this stuff than I think some other people. Maybe that's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like my first reading of this, which it was admittedly before I had had enough coffee the other morning, was like, why is the Paris Review giving Vulture this information? Like, are right. we conducting a stealth PR campaign to be like, look, we're going to hire a woman now? Mm. And it it doesn't seem like... Like the piece is not set up that way. You're right. It is set up as like that the vulture reporter is trying to find out whatever he can from whomever he can find it out mm. behind the scenes at the Paris Review. But also like just allow me to put on my tinfoil hat for <laughs> one minute. Publishing is so small that I would be not surprised if the writer of this piece also knows people at the Paris Review and they were like, the thing we can do is write about how you're going to hire a woman. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't rule that possibility out. I cannot. Yes, you're right. I can't <laughs> rule it you out. For, <laughs> thank you for indulging me. <laughs> I mean, you know, listen, we all have need a tinfoil hat sometimes. <laughs> oh, sometimes it just feels good to know you're dwelling in a conspiracy theory <laughs> instead of wondering what's happening in reality. Right. <laughs> should we let's just knock out i guess the last one here this like the top segment of the show sadly for like a long time now has been what's going on with these so do you want to tell me what's happening at awp well i mean as much as anybody knows what's happening at awp (laughs) so publishers weekly had a piece this week um about the dismissal of awp's executive director director. Yes. Um, AWP is the Association of Writers and Writers Programs. Um, They have a big convention every year that really just happened. Um, It just finished up. And the current director was the executive director as of 1995. So he's been there for a minute. That is a long time. Yeah, it's a long time. Um, 
And according to this article, he was very abruptly dismissed on March 11th, which would have been right on the tails of the AWP conference wrapping up. And there's a lot of notes in here about like when he found out versus when it was revealed to other people. Like, did they actually tell him before they told other people, which is weird. Um, and... Uh, and like a AWP didn't make an official announcement about it until March 16th, but there were tweets disclosing his ouster as of March 12th. Um, so there's some timeline stuff here that's wibbly wobbly. Um, <laughs> and then uh, apparently AWP's board members and staffers started receiving emails complaining about the way the situation was handled. The, the, the thing that I am trying to restrain myself from speculating about, because we really don't know, is exactly why you would oust a 20-something-year director hours after your conference happened. Yeah. And and there's, you know, uh, like Insider has said, maybe it's about finances. Um, but it's perhaps because of the two previous stories that I'm having a hard time believing right. that. Like, it's like, really? Is finances, is that what you do? It's, yeah, it feels like there must be a capital R reason. Right. Like, there's a story here, but what is mm -hmm. it? Right. Yeah. And the fact that there's no information makes it mm -hmm. curiouser and curiouser, I think. Yeah. Um, for everybody involved, like, it seems to me that AWP would be better served by releasing some kind of more something. comprehensive statement about this. Yeah, at least for, I mean, and who knows, like, what could be going on back mm -hmm. in, you know, in behind the scenes at AWP and presumably what, like, their attorneys have told right. them they can or can't talk about with respect to the firing of a decades-long employee. Yeah. But you would think that if there were some, I guess there's a couple pieces, if there were some potentially public-facing, like, damaging element here that they might want to get out in front of it and be like, we became aware of X, mm -hmm. whatever X is, and this is the action that we took and we got rid of him. But at the same time, there might be a bunch of NDAs. Right. Like, people might have signed a bunch of things that they can't talk about it. Right. Um, and that's in like when there is no information that's that's also when i put my tinfoil hat back on <laughs> really like when my spidey senses start tingling of like no one is saying anything and usually there's a reason and it's because they can't right right yeah it is it is it is a story if you like insider baseball publishing things again that is begging for a like a theory it, it just is sort of asking for speculation at least to my mind um but we really don't know what's going on there and i will be very interested for any news about who is the new director to be quite oh, frank yeah. because mm -hmm. AWP has had some issues with diversity and accessibility in the past um, mm -hmm. and has like been trying to make strides forward and if you're going to get a new director anyway like now's the time yeah now's the time to like you know make a make a big change uh, so so I guess uh, on the one hand I'm like frightened to find out on a certain level why this guy was let go like hopefully I don't know I, I want it not to be horrible but it's hard not to believe right now that any story that's a little bit weird in publishing doesn't have something horrible behind it um, mm -hmm. but also I really want to see who moves into the executive director spot yeah. because that could mean some interesting things for 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 coming AWP conferences and AWP action. Yeah, I think that's that will be the most interesting forward-looking piece of this for sure, is really how aware is AWP of their problems mm -hmm. and um, how committed are they to solving them using the new 
higher in this position as kind of, as an indicator of how mm-hmm. they intend to go forward. I think that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. I think you're right that if it's just about organization finances, like mm-hmm. if you're letting somebody go because organization finance issues, like you let them retire and then you announce, you know, like after 20, however many years, so-and-so is retiring from this position. And by the way, we're not going to be filling this position because money, right? you know, like we've seen, we've seen that story yeah. before yeah. That, that happens all over the place. So mm-hmm. th- there is like, mm, it feels like there's a reason here, but what the reason is might remain mysterious. I hope we get to find out something. Um, <laughs> Just so we can take we, off our tinfoil hats. <clears throat> you know, because dragging things into the light of day is important for progress. Well, that's true. That's right. <laughs> Sunlight is the best disinfectant, I have been told. Yes. You haven't heard that before? I have. I just wasn't expecting it like in this moment. That's just like such a perfectly you thing to say. (laughs) I'm just having a moment of appreciation for that. Glad I could provide it. All right. Well, let us disinfect ourselves. (laughs) I mean, I'm not gonna, that is the perfect metaphor for some of this some days for me. Like I do sometimes feel like I need to bathe in disinfectant after reading the news. So it's true. And the spring is coming eventually, (gasps) even though spring has been fake news. So we will be able to get some like literal sunlight, (laughs) feel better about the world. Uh Um, Let's do our next sponsor and then we can move into some other stories for the week. How about that? Mm -hmm. All right. Our next sponsor this week is Disarmed by Izzy Esagui. Um, This was published by Prometheus Books. So the book combines refreshing candor with self-deprecating wit. It's a memoir that encourages readers to reach their aspirations despite seemingly impossible odds. Disarmed is the moving story of a young American who volunteered to fight in the Israel Defense Forces, lost his arm in combat, and then he returned to the battlefield as the world's only one-armed special forces sharpshooter. That's incredible. Uh, Izzy Esagui wrote Disarmed with fellow millennials in mind, not necessarily those with military ambitions, but everyone facing life's battles. His message is universal, that if a self-described nerd like him can accomplish what he did, anyone can be the hero in their own life. Uh, So again, that's Izzy Izagwe. I'm sorry, I mispronounced that at the top. Uh, And the book is called Disarmed. It's a memoir and you can pick it up now. We'll have a link in the show notes or you can find it wherever books are sold. Disarmed by Izzy Izagwe. All All right, right. Jen. Do you want to talk about romance? Yes. Tell me about romance. I will tell you about romance. So The Guardian did a piece recently entitled Romance So White, Uh, Publishers Grapple with Race Issues Amid Author Protests. Um, There there has been a lot of stuff going on in the romance world lately. I'm still very confused about what's happening in romance land. Yeah. I mean, it would be like a whole... I mean, it literally is a whole nother show's Mm -hmm. worth of information. If you've been listening to our When in Romance podcast, it's been discussed at length over there, and um, you should definitely... Definitely take a listen because uh, Jess and Trisha do a good job of breaking it down. But basically, the focus of this story is about the lack of diversity in romance publications. Uh, last year, 
the folks at the Ripped Bodice, um, which is a bookstore, a romance-focused bookstore in Los Angeles, put together a diversity report uh, that some publishers participated in. They did their best to get a, a broad sample, and and they've done it again this year. So we now have two years worth of data thanks to the Ripped Bodice report, and it actually got worse. Less um, less <laughs> of course less authors, did. yeah, less authors of color were published this year than last year across the board in romance, which is super disheartening for so many reasons. Um, And then on top of it, two publishers or two imprints slash publishers that were focused on diversity and uh, LGBTQ and other inclusive um, topics have been shut down for different reasons. Um, Crimson Streak was a imprint from, let's see, I believe it was Simon and & Schuster. And um, and they were shut down. Uh, excuse me, it's just Crimson. I don't know why I keep wanting to add Streak onto the end of that. But they had the highest uh, percentage of authors of color. It was like 29.3. Um, but yeah, Simon & Schuster has closed down the imprint, citing change in consumer reading habits, which means nothing. Like, that's a nothing burger. Um, right. And then Riptide, which has been slammed by a lot of really bad press and poor decision making on their part um, is currently closed and they were an LGBTQIA publisher who also did have uh, some authors of color so so when on top of our you know romances numbers as a whole are getting worse we've also lost two diverse publishers and imprints uh, and that's not great <laughs> it's not not great what questions yeah. do you have? Like, what can I answer for you? I know a little bit about this. I've been following it pretty yeah. closely. Um, know, I was, I remember last, was it last year when Harlequin closed? Kimani. Kim, yes. Kimani imprint, which was African-American romance mm-hmm. exclusively. This, I want to talk about the nothing burger phrase of changing consumer reading habits. Yes. Um, because it is a nothing burger, but it's also a lie. Yeah, like, it is a lie. That's right. That this notion, like functionally what a publisher is saying when they get rid of an imprint that publishes books about people of color with like these are it's changing consumer habits. They're basically saying these books aren't selling. Therefore, we assume people of color don't want to read these books. So we're going to stop making romance novels for people of color. Um, And all of the data that we've seen from Pew studies is that. Like I think it's like college-educated black women read. I'm pretty sure that that's the mm-hmm. segment. I will have to go back, but read more than any other segment. I think that's right. Of, of the American population. Um, and so this notion that publishers have that their books about people of color aren't selling must indicate that people of color don't want books is wrong. Yeah, it's a, that uh, is a lie. Yeah, it's a lie. It's bad logic. Um, mm-hmm. And... The like I think the solution is actually maybe spend some money publicizing the books that you have that are by and about people of color <laughs> to get them out into the world. Advertise these. <laughs> what a notion that you should advertise the things you wish to sell. What? Um, the advertising. I know. I know. Um, there the stuff going on with Riptide about. Um, featuring people of color on covers of mm-hmm. books, I think is, is worth some discussing. What do you know about 
about that. Well, so yes, Riptide, uh, the the thing that Rebecca's referring to there is that a an author who worked with Riptide published some emails from the lead editor there. And one of the emails said, um, we won't put POC on the cover because we like the book to, you know, sell frowny face. Like, in, if, if, if there's ever a sentence you should not put in an email, I think God. that's it. Um, yeah, and Riptide in the past has made some notable egregious errors um, with public with how they handled books uh, that involve characters of color. Um, so it is. It is a sad, but not a surprise to me Mm. that those emails, first of all, exist, um, that an author would have to hear that from his editor is just terrible. um, And that a publisher would believe that is also terrible. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that um, I think that a lot of the problem here is is the same problem as elsewhere is that the people who are in the positions of power here don't know what they're doing when it comes to acquiring inclusively. You know, it's it's a lot of white people who clearly are not, you know, being parts of communities where they're getting feedback and or information about people of color and communities of color and they're not asking for that information. They're not paying attention to it when it's given to them. Um, because you know, as the ripped bodice notes, they, six of their 10 best-selling titles from 2017 were by authors of color and they're not like that is a shop owned by two white ladies, you know? Mm -hmm. So like if a shop owned by two white ladies can do it, I'm pretty sure anybody can do it if they bothered. And, um, and then it's just you know it's 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 publishing at large writ very specifically into into romance. Yeah, I think that's right because we've heard other stories about imprints where people say things like, you know, we're not taking on this black author because we already have a black mm-hmm. author on the list this season. Um, and the like the thing about this being in an email, like someone wrote mm-hmm. this in an email and then used an emoticon, <laughs> like is. <laughs> Like, this is what we're talking about when we talk about what structural racism looks like, Mm -hmm. that this per like this editor in this case, I'm sure does not think of herself as a racist. She's probably not like flying a Confederate flag in her front yard. Um, But she also finds it perfectly acceptable to be like, we don't put people of color on the covers of our books because we like them to sell emoticon. Mm -hmm. And that like that you think this, this is just a statement that it's not a reflection of values or beliefs in some way is really telling that like, you think this is a fine thing to put in print Mm -hmm. somewhere is very telling and very insidious. I think about these unconscious biases like she she's aware here that they don't put people of color on the covers um she does not seem aware that the reasoning is flawed and dangerous and damaging Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i i think you're right that this is not really a romance this is a specific to romance example but this is not a specific to romance problem yeah 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 and you know i don't have the sales numbers in front of me but i know that at least in terms of best of lists and books that are getting a lot of press um you know you look at the success of Alyssa cole and alicia rye you look at beverly mm-hmm. jenkins who's been doing oh, this for decades forever and is and so well. a beloved institution in romance it's just it's just not 
it's not it's not true. If your books aren't selling, it's because you're doing it wrong. In a lot of these cases, not all cases, but in a, I think a fair number of these cases, it is literally because they have no idea what they're doing because they're not bothering to learn and there aren't people who do know what they're doing in positions to get things mm -hmm. done. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, Riptide is currently not accepting new submissions and, you know, this editor, Sarah Lyons, has resigned. So it seems that they know. I mean, they did publish a statement saying, like, we know we messed up. Um that's me paraphrasing. They didn't say it that way. <laughs> but they did say, you know, but how refreshing uh, would that wouldn't be? Wouldn't it be great if? But yeah, they know that they've they know that they've done this wrong. Sarah Lines clearly knows that at the very least she, she it's not a good look for her. Um and I can only hope that this is that this is this will pave the way for new opportunities, but I also am a little nervous about mm -hmm you know, losing two dedicated to diverse publishing sources in the same time frame because there's not an obvious sort of successor. And this is why so many authors of color self-publish in romance and do very yeah. well for themselves. They do. Do very well. So again, clearly the money is not the, like these, those books sell enough for these people, you know, yeah, to those have, readers are there to be found. Yeah. The readers are there. The authors can make a living doing this. So, you know, like publishing, I think you are the problem. Mm -hmm. Just yeah, it's it is I think worrisome. Like there is an opportunity here for someone to come in and do this well mm -hmm. and make a big splash. Um, but we talk about it in the other direction so often of like a book becomes a bestseller and the publishers are like, oh well, we knew that was going to be a bestseller because we spent a jillion dollars right. marketing it. And like it's this you know this very circular logic that feeds on itself of like we spent a million dollars to acquire this book and so we have to make it a bestseller to justify it. So we're going to spend a million dollars advertising it and then when it becomes a bestseller, we'll congratulate ourselves on our good taste mm. in acquiring this book that clearly so many people wanted to read. And that works in the other direction as well of like if you don't know what you're doing and you publish books that you don't publicize well and that you don't advertise you don't then get to be like guess nobody wants to read them right that's you right. know like that's <clears throat> if the reason that they spent that published that customers bought your book is that you advertised it like let's be real that's what's that's what's going on a lot of the time mm -hmm. uh, then just deciding to shut down when you don't see sales numbers is I think that's uncool. And what's happening at the like the upper echelons of these big publishing houses where they're like, let's get rid of this imprint, you know, because it doesn't look good on the Simon and Schuster balance sheet. Um, instead of someone being like, what could we do to make this imprint make more money? Mm -hmm. um, would be I'd like to see somebody tackle that. Same. Um, do better. Yes. Everybody. <laughs> everybody do better. <laughs> everybody do better. Could I tell you kind of a delightful story? Yes, tell me a delightful story. <laughs> Okay, so this is a story about John Oliver and Mike Pence. <laughs> <laughs> Are you following this at uh, all? A little, like just the tiniest bit, so I'm excited to hear you explain it to me. Okay, so Mike Pence's daughter, Charlotte Pence, has written a children's book about the family bunny whose name, I believe you will appreciate this, is Marlon Bundo. <laughs> very good. It's, it's a bun pun, Jen. It is. It is. This is like that. The pun is the only good part <laughs> of Charlotte Pence's book. Um, her book about Marlon Bundo um, is being, it's a children's book. It is being used to raise money for um, 
I think some of the proceeds are going to an anti-sex trafficking organization, which is a great cause. But also she's doing like the they're doing book tour stops at the most well-funded anti LGBTQ organization in the country, which is focused on the family um, and sort of, in, you know, bringing Marlon Bundo and his story about living a day in the life of the vice president into very conservative arenas. Um, and they're doing the fam- the Pence family is doing some appearances um, at some very conservative and religious um, organizations. And John Oliver has just like had enough <laughs> of Mike Pence, I think is the best way to explain it. So John Oliver's team also decided to write a book about Marlon Bundo in which he falls in love with another boy bunny. So it's like Mike Pence is getting trolled by John Oliver's gay bunny picture book. <laughs> Do you know I can't help but think of the Parks and Rec episode with the gay bunny? <laughs> yes, penguins. where Leslie marries the yeah. penguin. Yes. And so like John Oliver's team has written and published a Marlon Bundo picture book. It's called A Day in the Life of Marlon Bundo. And he falls in love with another boy bunny. And it's just a giant troll. But John Oliver has a huge platform from his HBO series Last Week Tonight. And he talks about this book on the on the air and he's like you know wouldn't it be great if we could make our Marlon Bundo book a bestseller above Mike Pence's family's actual Marlon Bundo book and then a bunch of the proceeds are going to progressive causes <laughs> so when this happened it became the the number one bestseller on Amazon and they have like I'll have to find the other you are are the other um, story that I read about this but where like the John Oliver team went all out and so like you can find it's they bought like marlinbundobook.com like things Ooh. that people googling for Mike Pence's daughter's book might google will now land at URLs owned by the John Oliver show wow um and so it it took over the number one spot um, on Amazon because so many people were buying this to support the like just raise your middle finger here moment mm-hmm. with your gay bunny book and the book that it knocked out of number one was James Comey's not yet published memoir A Higher Loyalty <laughs> <laughs> because this administration is just dedicated to helping books become bestsellers wow <laughs> So that is, I mean, like, that's really the whole story is that (laughs) earlier this week, James Comey's not yet published memoir was number one after Comey tweeted about it and Donald Trump insulted it, having presumably not read it. Um, And so it shot to number one and then it was removed from that position by a sweet tale about a gay bunny. Do you know what this makes me want is for somebody Please to tell be, me. <laughs> it makes me want somebody like I am hopeful that somebody is logging this, the bestseller shenanigans specifically <laughs> related to the presidency so that like 10 years from now we can look back on it and see the full, the full like sh- right. the up and the ups and downs and the knockings outs of the all like because there have been I don't know that we've ever had a political moment that has been as specific to the bestseller list as this one right. like it just it just like it's 
it, it is like book purchasing also as activism. Yeah. Well, you look at the Michael Wolf book, like that was in the news for right. like two weeks because of its book selling, like because of its mm-hmm. sales shenanigans. And now we have this, like, I don't ever remember anything like this before. No, it's bonkers. It's bonkers. It's bonkers. I'm it delighted is. that we've got bunnies now involved <laughs> and it's not just like poorly reported slash weird <laughs> memoirs by political figures who I don't really want to know that much more about. Like, right. give me this bunnies. Like, yes, let's have let's have bunnies. What could possibly come next? <laughs> like, there's, what, three more years oh, of this? God. So, like, what else can go on? I, I, I hope that you are right and that someone else is tracking it. Jeff and I didn't get to it last week, but I could dig up the story for details. But Publishers Weekly covered last week that um, this administration has been a boon for feminist booksellers. Oh, I saw that too. Yes. Yes. That like sales at, I know at Women and Children First, which is in Chicago, sales are up like a notable percentage over last year. Attendance at a bunch of feminist bookstores events has gone up um, since the inauguration last year that like this, it feels like a silver lining. And also it really deeply makes sense Mm -hmm. to me that an administration that is so opposed to facts and intellectual rigor is actually great for the sale of books. Yeah. Yeah. Because everybody's trying to figure it out. We're just all trying to figure it out. It's just a little story about two bunnies (laughs) falling in love, Jen. I'm so happy for those bunnies. I know. Could we could we start like a bunny wedding registry to send them <laughs> gifts? <laughs> Do you, a lifetime can you supply imagine of if John Oliver's team registered for gifts for Mike Pence's bunny and what people <laughs> might send? Like oh, I can't even. That that's probably not a good idea. That's <laughs> probably not a good idea. Probably not. But it remains delightful. It does remain delightful. Yes. So that's the thing that's happening. If uh, if. I don't know if you just need to like do a thing for a second that feels like activism, but also is delightful, which those two words don't go together that often. You can acquire yourself a copy of a day in the life of Marlon Bundo um, from Amazon or your local independent bookseller. I was talking with a bookseller friend last night who was telling me about like going through Marlon Bundo ABA listing shenanigans. (laughs) Like, of course. Well, there is actually a whole story about why bookstores didn't have it. I don't know if you oh, saw this. I did not. Oh, well, yeah. So I will find the link. But basically what happened is that they this all happened on a very short timeline. So John mm-hmm. Oliver's team, you know, threw together the book. Chronicle published it. Um, and Amazon took a huge chunk of that first run and sold out of it basically immediately. And bookstores order out of catalogs. And you do sometimes get notifications about drop-in titles like, oh, hey, we rushed this one. But it literally, all this timeline of this went so fast the bookstores didn't even know that it was an option to order for the most part until it was Mm. already out of stock um so chronicle is already reprinting at a much higher number because of course it's a novelty book so they weren't sure how many would actually sell like how many people are going to buy john oliver's gay bunny book well it turns out a lot so many i feel like that was bad math to not know that it was going to sell like a jillion copies yeah so now chronicle is scrambling to get the book anywhere else i mean get it back to amazon get it to the bookstores etc etc yeah 
Yeah. You know, this is perfectly timed, too, for Easter. Like, is this mm. the Easter gift that every liberal parent is purchasing this year? <laughs> for themselves? I wonder. I have obviously not read this. So I wonder how child appropriate it is. Because it's a parody, right? Like, so. Right. Is it true. is it this year's go the F to sleep, you know? Or is it or is it actually right, is child appropriate? We should acquire a copy. We should acquire. Fact-finding mission. Bunny fact-finding <laughs> mission. <laughs> This is the mission we were born for. I think for. it is. Can I expense it? <laughs> I don't see why not. Now my like biggest dream in life is to read the Marlon Bundo book on the air to Jeff. Ah, I think that's a great plan. <laughs> Good things always, I mean, things always go a little bit sideways when Jeff is off the show. <laughs> I'm not sorry. I was going to say, not, <laughs> sorry, not sorry. I don't know what to say. <laughs> right. All right. Well, I have officially added a choir Marlon Bundo book to my to-do list. So things are happening. Um, would you like to hear about our final sponsor I would love week? to. I am delighted to be able to talk about this book. It's Educated by Tara Westover out from Random House. This has been out for a couple of weeks now, and there's just a ton of buzz about it. Tara Westover was 17 before she ever entered a classroom. If you like a memoir that's kind of like The Glass Castle, this is going to be a book for you. It's a debut. She tells the story of her quest for education and for self-invention that took her from being raised in a... Her, her father is a this very interesting combo of like fundamentalist Mormon survivalist prepper. Um, so he has these very conservative and in many ways strange and sort of like not doctrinally accurate to Mormonism ideas about things, but also is very paranoid about the, just the state of the world. Doesn't send his children to school. Um, and she finds her way from being from this uneducated unschooled childhood um, to eventually being educated at Harvard and Cambridge and this is her story about her life and how that happened um, it is an incredible memoir um, it's heart-rending so candid um, in that same way that the glass castle I think was very notable for the way that um, Jeanette Wall's like very matter of factly reports what happened in her life that, you know, when you're a kid, this is just your life and you think it's normal because you don't know anything else. Um, Tara Westover, I think, does that very well. Also, of here, here is what it was like. And I didn't know any different. So I didn't think it was bad. I didn't think it was weird at the time. Like this was just my story. Um, and it's, it's fascinating how she um, breaks out her childhood and what that experience was like and how the, the like hunger that she has just always felt for education. Her grandmother sort of is the first one to open the door and introduce the idea to her that she might be able to, um, that she might be able to not do what her family has done, but to get educated and to create a different kind of life for herself. So it's very, um, it's very much a story about one person, reinventing herself, but also sort of a universal story about that hunger to be in charge of who you are um, and and what it takes to get there. Um, very, very interesting. And so um, if the, like, I love a memoir like this. It's inspiring. And she's just honest. And this should be very widely read. It's about the function of education in a broad sense um, to help us understand the world and who we are. And then through the lens of this one person's um, very 
particular particular story. I was really moved by it. So that's Educated. It's by Tara Westover. It is out now from Random House. All right. We have a few minutes left. Yes. You found a banana pants story. I did. I'm so Let's excited. Go okay. So I'm excited to talk about this because it's it's so interesting. So this is also from The Guardian. Um, and what has happened is that a <laughs> the Booksellers Guild of Madrid is using Don Quixote to prevent the banning of a recently published book. How? Yes, how, exactly. <laughs> so a book called Farina, which is an expose of drug trafficking in Galicia, was published in 2015, but the book sales and publication has been halted um, because the former mayor has brought legal action against the author and the publisher. And the mayor is suing over details in the book about his alleged involvement in the drug shipping. So mm -hmm. there is a, like a court gag order, basically, on this book. And the Booksellers Guild of Madrid is not having it. Um, <laughs> they have declared it a disproportionate and anachronistic measure to prevent people from reading the story. And so what they did is launch a website called Finding Farina, which uses this like digital script to go through the text of Don Quixote and highlight the words that make up Farina. <laughs> so you can, basically, you're reading highlighted words in Don Quixote to read this book that's been banned. Or that's being, is you know, censored. Genius. <laughs> and, okay, it gets better. So some of... But also. Yeah, but also, some of the words in the contemporary book do not exist in the original of Don Quixote. So the digital script pulls syllable by syllable oh to God. get you the right words. I mean, this is, talk about a labor of like, like love and ambition. Like what an ambitious. Like they must really want this story to be told. Yes, yeah. And I mean, it's an expose about drug trafficking. So it, yeah. I mean, that is an important topic for sure. Um, and, but it's like, I don't, I've never heard of anything like this. No. And this is it's amazing. It is amazing. You wonder how they arrived at this solution. Yes! Like this does feel like sometimes you see things that are like this only came out because like a bunch of people got high one night and right. were like, what if we highlighted words in Don Quixote? Right. And you know, what's interesting is there's a tradition of poetry where you right. pull, right, you, you know, highlight and remove words from other texts to create poetry. And, and but that's the only instance of yeah. this particular sort of tool set that I've seen used. Yeah. So this is it's, fascinating. It is. Yeah. It feels kind of adjacent to like the doomsday prediction things where the those prophets who were like, you know, this is the day that the world is going to end. And they say that they arrived at it by like finding Ooh, yes. the 13th letter of the second sentence on every 84th page of the Bible right. or something like they, they come with some formula for it. But like, let's just take a public domain text, mm -hmm. a big one that has a lot of words mm -hmm. in it and highlight them to tell this story is fast like this is an elegant solution yeah i wonder which what they came up with that they decided not right. to do right what did that you brainstorming know? committee look like <laughs> right like this is not the first idea you have no no and and 
and who like greenlit this? Like, and how long did it take to write that program? Like, I have so many questions about the logistics of executing this. It's so, it's so interesting. Um, and so like so well played like you just want to like give them like a standing mm-hmm. slow clap for you know yes. figuring out how to make this happen I wonder too if it will affect what's going on with the um with the court system if it's like well the whole story is out there now right. so we're gonna remove this gag order because the whole story is out there now like maybe this is how they get to publish the book anyway yeah um, yeah it's this is fascinating so interesting if you know things about, I guess we could ask our own developer, Alex, about mm. this, but if you know things about how to write a program like this or what would be involved, I would love to hear about it. Podcast at bookriot.com. Um, this is pe- humans, man. I needed this. <laughs> ingenuity. Like, gay bunnies and ingenuity. Yes. There's <laughs> your show title. <laughs> I just love it. I love everything about it. There is... There is nothing about this that I'm not impressed by. Yeah. And it also it's, doesn't seem real. Like uh, this could be an right? onion article, like a really good like onion a, article or like a note in a Dan Brown novel. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> but th- but it's real because the truth is stranger than fiction as we keep right. finding out. Man, fascinating. Mm-hmm. Just an elegant, creative, totally unexpected solution. Yes. Like if you had been like, how do you think they got this story out? I would not in a hundred <laughs> guesses have arrived at highlighting words in Don Quixote. Nope. Wow. I think that's a good note to end on. Yeah. Because where else do you go from gay I mean, bunnies and ingenuity? Nothing is going to top that for sure. True. That's a good show. Thank you for joining me this week, Jen. Thank you for having me. Thank you to our sponsors, Force of Nature, Disarmed, and Educated. We will have links to all of those in the show notes. And you guys know where to find books that you're interested in. Um, You can send us a line at podcast at bookriot.com. Jeff checks that email. Bless him. Uh, So if you're mad at me, good luck. (laughs) And uh, you can find us all over the internet at Book Riot. If you have a minute, you like the show, please take a moment to rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find their way to us, and we certainly appreciate it. And in the meantime, we'll see you next week.